0: Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Ocean Bunker podcast. Um, This is Season 5, Episode 9. We are a little bit late with recording uh, this time round. As some of you will have seen on our social media, we we had a a series of unforeseen circumstances and and difficulties with uh, time zone issues, uh, which has led to this episode being somewhat delayed. Um, I am joined uh, this evening by uh, George and Ocean Technical. we were due to be joined by uh, a guest in the form of Aleph, uh, who has been on the podcast a number of times before. Um, unfortunately, we have not been able to get Aleph in uh, for this episode, and he will be joining us uh, for a later episode. Um, so stay tuned for that.
1: I, I don't think people fully realize the the amount of logistics going into making this one actually happen.
0: Yeah, Um For those not aware, ordinarily when we record a podcast um, we kind of have sort of technical and Austin will be on a US time zone or maybe two US time zones and then George and I are obviously UK based and so that tends to be fairly straightforward albeit obviously not uh, the simplest situation in the world. Um, On this occasion we were looking at having obviously technical on one time zone, George on the UK time zone, myself on uh, Australian East Coast time, and then Aleph on whatever time zone Aleph currently uh, exists on. Don't don't even know what that one is, so... Um, Aleph does more travelling than technical, and that's that's kind of saying something, because technical, as many of you will know, has tuned into episodes in the past while on the move or down the Grand Canyon, for example, um, which obviously is you know, just, just showing off really. But, um, yeah. uh,
1: Yeah. Just, just, just wait until I get the full sat phone set up (laughs) done. It became a bit of a
0: logistical nightmare, but we are, we are here now. We are recording. Um, and hopefully uh, this episode will be out to you all very, very soon.
2: Yeah.
1: You know, it's, it, it is kind of amazing when you think about it, about how far away we are from each other while still having like, negligible delay basically on on everything it's it's it is kind of remarkable to a degree
0: so without further ado i suggest we uh we start with well sort of the the big topic again in the news this morning uh, or tonight rather uh, depending on which time zone you're in um and that is of course ukraine russia war about 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 that one i have we have we talked about it before i
2: i, I don't I, remember i had heard something was happening yeah no
1: um i i i heard there there might have been explosions in Russia or something but but that's kind of a normal event right
0: yeah it's um
1: it's i mean i think i think since the last time we talked there have been because I'm kind of kind of extending out to the main point here but how many how many drone attacks have there been on on Russian territory in the past like month and change
0: I think there's too many to count at this point
1: um, it's definitely weekly sometimes it's... even daily Um I mean, the I, I I think I think we can summarize it with the 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 culmination of the Russians putting pantsiers on uh, on towers outside of Moscow. I think I think that's kind of which which you know in and of itself kind of embarrassing to have to do that. Um, not not entirely novel for the Russians, but 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 definitely a an, an indication of their not incapability per se, because you know. They do down Ukrainian UAVs, but their 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 incapability to keep a sense of safety for their citizens and ensure you know, I mean, it, it it's really hard to ensure a sense of safety when you aren't able to down you know all of the large explosive armed drones coming towards your population centers, um, and also hitting key civil and military targets like the microelectronics plant in, in not Burdansk actually it may have been Burdansk. I forget specifically, but the Silicon EL plant um, that that's been hit twice now. I believe there was, there was one where there was a small fire and then there was another one where they, they hit the administration building and and really, really got the third floor on fire and, and potentially caused additional damage. Um, but that, that Ukrainian drone campaign has a, I think certainly been successful.
0: Yeah, even to the point now where the Russians are so scared that they seem to be finding tyres from anywhere and everywhere and placing them atop anything they think might be a target. Um, We've obviously seen, as as many of our listeners will have seen, um, the satellite imagery from various Russian air bases in the last week or so of various aircraft types uh, notably sort of the strategic bombers, covered in just as many vehicle tyres as they could find. Um,
2: well, I asked earlier if it's practical to put tyres on submarines and landing craft, but...
0: <laughs> yes. As, 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 we're, uh, we're getting as there. We're, alluded, we're continuing but... to marry the lead. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's it, it says a lot that, you know... Probably a year and a half ago now, there was a a general consensus around the world that Russian air defence systems were a force to be reckoned with. Things like the S-400 and the Panzer were a serious threat to enemy aviation. Um, And to a certain extent, they still are. And we've we've obviously seen um, Ukrainian aircraft have been downed at various points. But we are now seeing Ukraine very much taking a lead with the use of UAVs um, in combat, as as we say, you know, small explosive laden drones um, being used to to great effect, both tactically on the battlefield with um, the dozens of videos of grenades being dropped onto tanks, um, all the way up to, as we've seen in recent weeks, these I think it's cardboard drones built in Australia that are then being used as, as suicide drones.
1: Well, I, I think the 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 internal Ukrainian effort as well if you look at the Eska, Eska drone project which is I think how it's romanized in in its pronunciation um but they're they're shooting for, you know, delivering hundreds of units a week of of these these small you know FPV munitions that that are little, or not little, but you know they're they're fairly small racing drones that basically have you know either an RKG grenade or an OG seven heat warhead or occasionally some some custom thingamajig you know pipe bomb basically um, attached to it and you know flown into a Russian position or vehicle or some sort of high value asset um, and and destroying it um, and I I. I mean, obviously, our our view of that situation is, to a degree, sanitized, um, and that we only see the successes because, you know, inherently, I mean, we we do occasionally see videos of of these um munitions getting hit by by Russian electronic warfare, um, but but you know, we're we're we really ninety percent of the content, or probably ninety nine percent of the content that Escadrone releases. Are um are successful videos, but still, if if you look at just the quantity alone, um, you know, even if they're they're losing a ton of munitions, they're they're still managing to make just this this huge impact um on the front. And I mean, if if (laughs) we we've seen enough, you know, random videos of like you know, oh here's you know a video from the front, there will inevitably be you know one or two of these drones that'll slam into a position nearby. Um, there was recently a video released by um, some Russian soldiers in, uh, in uh, not, not Robotny but South Robotny, um, where, where they, they, they spent half the video panicking about, you know, the Ukrainians are going to be flying these tiny little drones at us. You know, we need to leave. We need to get out of here. Um, and I, I, I think that is a major aspect of life on the front right now.
0: Yeah and it's been interesting from a UK perspective to see particularly in in the last week and I obviously with the last couple of days we've had the uh, DSEI event in in London um where a lot of UK and US defense companies have announced new uh, swarming drone projects um which, so many drones <laughs> as as much as some of these projects had been in planning for some years now it, it's interesting to see that with sort of the the impact they're having on the conflict in Ukraine, a lot of these companies are now really pushing these uh, designs. Um, I think there was the one particular that caught my attention from, um, I think it was the UK firm Kinetic. Um, Let me just see if I've got the details to hand. Um, Jackdaw? Yes. So I think, correct me if I'm wrong, George, but uh, Jackdaw is effectively planned to be a sort of medium altitude swarming um but also sort of you know low, yeah. ultra low cost uav that can so
2: it's marketed as an autonomous low cost swarm yeah. those those uh, terms appear frequently on the marketing material for that drone and it's i, I believe it's modified to well, it's, the, you know, incredibly modified Banshee eighty.
0: Hmm. I
2: could be wrong on that.
0: And the Banshee, obviously, at the minute is one of the Royal Navy's sort of target practice UAVs, isn't
2: it? Yeah, yeah. Which 80. is the
1: one that they showed off? Which is the larger um, quadcopter dropping small, little FPV munitions, or, or smaller swarming drones?
0: I'm oh, not aware of that. I saw I saw that in a video. I think. Uh...
1: Yeah, I, I I saw it.
0: I saw it. Scene. It's it's hanging up somewhere.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll, we'll we'll send George back into the hall to go find it.
0: <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the the impact that Ukraine's use of these drones is 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 having on sort of the rest of the world is quite noticeable at this stage, um, and. Obviously, you know, well, drone, drone technology is, is advancing and is obviously a key focus point for several militaries. Um, the US itself announced um, a project that has been working on for a while, uh, the Longshot Programme, um, which I believe was a DARPA uh, project originally. And, and, and um, General Atomics, I think, is, is going to be producing the, the prototypes for that. Um, and that's, that's very much a, an air-to-air Combat UAV, again, emphasising autonomous, emphasising the uh, swarming capabilities, um, potentially something that in the long term, because it certainly won't be ready for operations any time in the near future, but potentially in the long term could well see its way into service in Ukraine.
2: Well, there is a saying at DSEI, and I'm, I'm assuming many of the listeners know, that's effectively the Olympics of arms first. Um There is a saying, "Flak is back, obviously representing an increased desire to counter drones, and I think the old tech can sometimes be the best option, just shoot them down rather than soft kill defences.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I mean, as, as we saw from, from last night, um, the Ukrainians are, are very invested, or at least forced into using traditional older anti-aircraft artillery systems yeah um which i i think the ZU-23-2 counts as as anti-aircraft artillery yeah. um but it's they're 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 using those systems and small arms um just because the 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 current cheap long range attack drones are are kind of slow um you know propeller driven your you your within the realm of possibility to down it with you know a small arm with with a gun with a with a rifle yeah. um I, I i think that that is or at least one of the realistic options looked at right now
2: at dsei uk naval gun firm msi um you know the makers of typically things along the lines of 30 millimeters they've teamed up with a polish company to produce a hard core drone air defense system at it really does look like I should send you guys the uh, pictures of this. It looks like an old sort of World War flat cannon. Obviously, it's you know, it's automated. It's CUES or all of their bells and whistles, but it looks so old school.
1: <laughs> I mean, I I think Orlikon is still making guns guns that look oh, yeah. pretty much exactly the same as they did in you know, 1937.
0: As 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 they say, if, if if it works, you know, don't don't fix yeah. it. Um, <laughs> yeah, though I will say that the theme for the show, a show
1: like AUSA, um, back in, you know, back back last year, actually over no almost a year ago, um, was really focused on countering drones. Um, there there was some focus on on drones. You know, I I forget who was. Who it was, but but someone came up with basically a mock-up of a, um, of a of a fairly large quadcopter with a couple of RPG or not RPGs, but, but the law analogs um, strapped to it. Which, which in hindsight, like after after another year of watching Ukraine, is just stupid. Like everything about it is stupid. Um, but but the real focus there was was countering drones,
2: um,
1: and and I think would would you guys say DSCI this year is more about utilizing drones?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. The British Army are showing off their latest brimstone equipped Hydra four hundred, I think. Um their own navy are showing off the that's
0: that's probably the one that you would, you, you were asking about, technical, the the Hydra four hundred. Yeah. Um, there's big, also the two quadcopter with three brimstones strapped to the the underside.
1: No, this oh, yeah, is this, so on.
0: this this had little little quadcopters strapped to it.
1: I I'll, I'll, I'll find there. it. I'll find it and I will d- 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 note, note to editor.
2: Are you sure it's real? Could it, this I, have just been a dream you've <laughs> <found>? <laughs> T- Absolute technical, nightmare. Technical
0: dreaming about new types of drones.
1: you <laughs> <laughs> sell the idea. Um,
2: no, but, no, um, no, but you're you right. A lot of the stands involve new drones, novel applications of drones and I think I think one of my favorites, unfortunately, um, as, as I'm sure you both know, I wasn't able to attend. Uh, so I've been doing everything online via the online briefings, all that interesting stuff. So the T-600 on the experimental vessel, the Patrick Blackett, it carries a full-size torpedo. And I think that's, that's incredible. That gives torpedo capability to even the smallest of ships.
1: Yeah, tor- torpedo capability to, you know... I, I guess mine sweepers to to your your small offshore patrol vessels. Um, though granted, I, I think there might be a question there of of actually finding the sub to shoot at. but yeah. they're
2: unclear how they prosecute such targets, but there they are. Well,
1: they can prosecute them. They can't exactly search for them. Fair. They could, they can definitely throw a torpedo in their general direction. They just you know might not know what they're searching for
2: randomly chuck out torpedoes I think is the theme of DSEI this year
1: <laughs> of, it's cheap enough to be expendable
2: Why find I, I think sweet? that I,
1: I think that is an element with the drones as well as in you know well it's you know in, in military parlance a, a $20,000 drone is cheap yeah and so i i think or or maybe for the uk mod that's that's a pretty big chunk of the budget but for most most organizations that is that is a, a fairly low cost alternative
2: now technical could you have been referring to airlander i don't know if anyone's aware of this in here it's the obviously the big the big airship. Um there was a lot of footage, I say footage CGI, um of Air Lander releasing a swarm of smaller quadcopters and other types of drones. Or was it was it a quadcopter releasing drones?
1: Yeah, it was a quadcopter releasing smaller quadcopters. I this 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 is another and note for the editor is, is find a picture of this so I don't look crazy.
2: And those <laughs> smaller quadcopters, they also released smaller quadcopters.
0: <laughs> who then released really it's, 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 it's a Russian doll <laughs> situation.
1: <laughs> the, the Mastrovka it's all all the way down to Nannabotsk. um No, no, I, I I do believe that that is an element of it. Um, or or I'm not crazy. Don't don't call me crazy. <laughs>
2: I'm
1: am I'm, I'm only mildly unhinged. But but I, I I do think that is that 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 was something that was seen and I'll find it at some point. Who knows? Okay, I'm not crazy. <laughs> but no, back back more to the DSEI stuff. Um, I definitely do think there is that increased focus on unmanned platforms, sort of driving the uh, the acquisition cycle, or or at least the the advertising cycle. It's always the new kind of shiny, interesting stuff that gets the most attention. But I, I definitely think that we've seen, at least in Ukraine, the really hard use of unmanned systems at sort of all levels. Oh, and and, and actually, speaking of all levels, I think, was it now three, two, three weeks ago, we saw another couple of uh, TB2 strikes, um, yeah. which is definitely, definitely interesting to, uh, to see there um after after a pretty big gap um in in T B two activity. Um sort of those high level UAS assets or, or or more long range larger drones that are a bit more vulnerable to actually, you know, getting shot down um have have been a bit more uh prevalent near the front. Or or correction, haven't been more prevalent towards the front as as, you know, I mean early early on in the war we we did see T B twos um, you know, operate not not with impunity over Russian formations, but um definitely, definitely more than the Russians certainly would have liked and were able to conduct strikes on Russian assets. Um, which I I think is there there is a place for these large drones, again in, you know, air defense environments that are more permissive. And apparently the Russians unintentionally allowed a permissive air defense environment to exist in Ukraine for a few weeks. Um but I, I I definitely think that that those or as we've seen at least pop back up the 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 larger longer range Uavs have a place actually speaking speaking about that George you um did you want to talk about the uh the UK carrier resupply drone
2: yeah so I don't know how many people are aware of this but the UK has made at least UK naval history and launching and recovering a fixed one cargo drone it's part of efforts undertaken by hms prince of wales who who finally made it to sea and um, still at sea just now and isn't heading towards any sort of dry dock so let's just let's just focus on that as a good thing so yeah she's heading to the us just now to trial mojave drones Um effectively i think those are modified is it sky guardian or sea guardian MQ-9Bs, anyway. yeah. But yeah, so it's a, it's a big, big plus for the UK because it means the more drones you have on deck, the less F-35s you have to buy. The original plan for the carriers was that because there really would only be one air wing um, shared between two of the ships, um, it would be very unlikely for the UK to deploy two in any sort of operational capacity. Now, two are deployed just now. Uh, one's away for trials with a handful of aircraft on board and the other is away to sail around the North Atlantic, the Med, yeah, um, with a reasonable number on board, a functioning operational warship. But having these drones is a huge, huge part in the playbook that will see the United Kingdom hopefully being able to deploy two aircraft carriers at the same time in an operational capacity. And the question oh, is that is much. that
1: or is that not with US Marine Corps assets on board as well?
2: I think it's it's highly unlikely we'll see a fully sovereign UK airline on a UK, UK carrier for the, the UK doesn't have the mass, it doesn't have the personnel, it, it, it doesn't have the resources to do that in anything but the most extreme circumstances. With a, a budget as stretched as it is, having American planes on the deck, not only, you know, it's better from an operational point of view, it's better from a learning, training point of view, it just looks better from a public relations point of view. As I'm sure, you know, many listening will know the UK and the carriers. It's a complex, you know, media history in that they're frequently derided as white elephants without aircraft. Mm. So many people, you know, still refer to them as aircraftless carriers, people who who will respond to an image of the ship, you know, with its deck full of aircraft, half of which, you know, are often American Air 35s. They'll still respond to those images with claims the carrier has no aircraft. So again, to, to cut my sort of rant here short... This is fantastic for the UK, but it's not going to be done without American involvement. I can't yeah.
0: see how. I, th- I, think oh, I, I
2: I completely agree with that, yes.
0: I think from memory, uh, Queen Elizabeth on this occasion is deploying with eight F-35s from the UK, um, all yeah. from 617 Squadron, um, alongside, I believe, there's three Wildcat helicopters from the Army Air Corps and five Merlins uh, from the Royal Navy. Um, also yeah. on
1: board. Now, now, where where will they be going?
0: So, as I understand it, the carrier strike group on, on this occasion is due to conduct, uh, as George said, um, a short patrol in the North Atlantic followed by a longer stint in the Mediterranean. Um, I don't believe it's planning to go beyond the Mediterranean on this occasion. Um, so, we will probably no, see don't... it popping into various NATO ports along sort of the, the Mediterranean coastline. Um but I believe the deployment is due to last from now round to Christmas. is that correct?
2: yeah, yeah okay the same and then
1: Prince
0: of well. Wales will be over in the
1: states no that's that is that is definitely that is definitely interesting um to see um at least or or actually not interesting it is it is a standard continuation of bilateral you know. Partnerships across across the North Atlantic, between between the U.S. and the U.K. and in, in actively, you know, fielding assets and and integrating them into sort of a combined NATO structured force.
2: Well, yeah, that's a large part of what Princeville is doing. A lot of the work that we're doing will be with American, specifically American aircraft, such as Osprey tilt Rotors, it's. I think um, this was what the vessel was supposed to be doing last year before the incident I never mentioned um, had happened. <laughs> but things seem to be back on track, and I think with a, a, an increasing sort of emphasis on drones, I think it was. It's maybe a good thing that it was delayed due to un- circumstances I, I won't speak about again because I think that's all I do. But <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. Saying, oh, I, I, I think know. it's. I think
1: it's a question of. Of whether or not the weight was good versus, you know, incident that would not be mentioned interfering with sort of posturing against a Russian invasion.
2: I don't think there's been any sort of real operational impact on the Royal Navy for this. It's been incredibly embarrassing for them, but it's 2023. We're in a different geopolitical environment.
1: Yeah.
2: Let's just see what happens now.
1: And so where where does Royal Navy ship procurement stand right now? I, I know there was just a, a small batch of warships that went up for sale. Is it sale or just disposition?
0: Yeah, so we, we've seen um, the old Type 82 destroyer HMS Bristol, um, a couple of uh, recently decommissioned Type 23 frigates, and yeah. there was another ship, and I can't remember what it was. I um,
2: think it was a Sandown, maybe?
0: Yeah. Um, have been listed on the M.O.D.'s website as uh, ready for sale for scrap. Um, yeah. Which it's going to be sad to see those vessels um, obviously be scrapped. Um, you know, in, in the past, the Royal Navy has sometimes sold on some of its warships to other countries um, for further use. Um, I think in the case of the Type 23s particularly, the, these are ships that have been worked very, very hard for a very, very long period of time. Um, You know, most of the hulls uh, in the Type 23 frigate class now are at or approaching 25 years of service. Um, And so they are very, very worn out. um, And so, uh, unfortunately, on on these occasions, it's obviously been evaluated that they're unlikely to uh, provide much continued service to anyone else. Um, We've obviously seen... Oh, sorry john uh, continue
2: no no go on go on oh, no I, I was just going to say that um even unofficially hms Wind, uh, I, can't, I can't speak hms Wind, Oh my gosh hms westminster has officially unofficially been scrapped it, it seems i think i don't know if you're aware or not the refit was basically put on hold because it would cost too much money yeah She's in such a poor state; um, it would be difficult to justify the expense of repairs. So there is a decision pending on her future to come, and it's it's not it doesn't look good. She's been moved from the. I can't remember the exact terminology. I think it's the frigate refit centre. Um, but yeah, she's been removed out of that to put in a basin herself.
1: I'm I'm continually surprised that there is a museum ship interest in the Bristol. Being, being of a, a very unique class and and existing in a very unique and historical state.
2: I don't think museum ships do particularly well in the UK, especially not naval museum ships. There have been so many proposals to purchase and display. I think it was, was it Invincible or Ark Royal or yes. one of them? It seems like nearly every frigate or destroyer that goes out of service, there's some proposal from somewhere. Even right now, the X. Ex- HMS, oh, it, was a, it was a Type 21 and it's in Pakistan just now. It's just retired yes. from the Pakistani um, Navy. There's a proposal to bring that to Glasgow, but no one wants to pay for it. The council haven't given any sort of plan permission for it. The agreement is basically such that the Pakistani Navy have said, if you want this, come and get it. Yeah. And I think for the last three or four years, at the very least, there has been pretty intense campaigning for HMS Bristol. But no one wants to pay for it in... I honestly, the amount of upkeep required for a vessel like that to sit, at least to sit in the water, would be prohibitive. Uh, you know, unless it be in an area. For example, H M S Belfast in London does fantastic. I think part because of it's such a iconic looking ship. It's it's what people would associate with a Royal Navy ship. It looks. Yeah. Now listeners will know it's not a battleship, but when people think of a battleship, they think of a ship that looks like that. H M S Bristol isn't particularly impressive to look at I, I can't i can't see it really being worth the
0: yeah the effort she, she has the advantage of being on the thames in london and yeah. therefore being yeah. part of sort of a, a a perception of london's skyline and that's yeah. to an extent part of the reason she does as well as she does and is and is yeah. able to be sustained in that location um unfortunately well,
1: i i continue I, I continually find it funny because the us is able to manage to keep what five aircraft carriers except se- how many seven battleships currently in a museum state uh a lot of lot of destroyers um, and and most of most of those are frankly only partially or or very in a hands-off manner run by usually like state level governments or or Basically, they just throw you know a bit of budget money at at private or volunteer driven organizations to maintain and upkeep these vessels. Um, and 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 to 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 be frank, it is those those volunteer organizations are are very proactive um, both in both in fundraising, maintaining and you know continuing to to keep these ships going. I know the battleship New Jersey is what about eight months away from going into dry dock for, for a complex dry docking. That's going to be primarily donation driven, um, with some funding from the state of New Jersey. Um, the Texas is currently in dry dock right now. Um, and is, is going through some, some very, very complex dry dock, um, work that, that was somewhat, um, privately funded and somewhat publicly funded. And it's, it's just, it's you know, uh, a lot of these ships have, have gone through these complex procedures over the past, I don't know, 20 years. I, I mean, we've, 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 we've dry docked, I think, four or five battleships in the last 20 years now, if you, if you count the New Jersey. Um, and so it, it is very interesting to see kind of that difference.
0: Yeah, and again, to an extent, it comes down, I think, to the the public and the political perception of sort of the military and military history. Um, yeah. I mean, there's, there's been sort of... There's been a lot of issues in recent years with ensuring that we've had appropriate funding in the UK to keep things like the Red Arrows and the Battle Britain Memorial flight in operation, um, which obviously public perception wise these are sort of major parts yeah. of of the british image and and that's probably the the only reason that those things have been saved from the mod's wide sweeping budget cuts um, but you know the we are we are fast approaching a point where the mod is is, is having to cut so much from so many places that e- even you know even the red arrows are potentially not safe any longer
1: and it is interesting to see because I who who made the comment about the 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 MOD being its most lethal or the 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 I, was it was it just the army or was it the the British armed forces as a whole um, being the most lethal fighting force ever by twenty thirty?
0: I think that was oh, God, General yeah. Sir Patrick Saunders. But let me just double check yeah. that.
1: And and that was that was a very interesting quote. And I'll I'll let you find who said it, but because technically, yes, they will probably be on the individual level very lethal. There just won't be depth or 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 breadth. It'll 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 be a very small fighting force that's that's very capable or or has
2: capabilities,
1: but is just very small.
2: Yeah, but certainly the most lethal in a bar fight. But a conflict over a continent perhaps not.
1: Or 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 maybe in a, a small expeditionary capability.
2: Yeah. Um but it oh, it, yeah, it, just, it just seems like there's <laughs>
1: <laughs> Well, I mean, if if you look at the size of it, you know, in twenty thirty it it might be enough to staff a bar fight, but okay. but there, there really does seem to be that interest in, in abandoning manning and abandoning sort of depth in, in, in order to, you know... I mean, the, the MOD is obviously working with, with what it's given um, to become a very agile fighting force in what it does. The, the investment in unmanned systems and experimental systems is cer- certainly there.
2: But um, Alpha, um, I, I should probably explain to any listeners who somehow are unaware the UK has welcomed a new Defence Secretary. Among his many names, the, the one we all know him as is, is Grant sharp Sharps, rather. There we go. Uh, from his early days as a photocopier sales rep, he moved into the printing and website sector with his venture. Oh, uh, print house something or other? Um, it's not important, but later controversies arose surrounding testimonials that were given on his website. I think there was three or four fake names that it turned out that he had had used to give those testimonials. Um those websites no longer exist. Now, however, falling foul of Google's copyright rules. We also recently learned of Sharp's marketing of an alleged get rich quick toolkit, which took the form of a just under five hundred dollars, I think. It, just under a yeah, it was yeah, it was just under five hundred dollars. It was an ebook that directed the owner of the ebook to direct others to buy More e-books from them. So he's, I think he's, served. we were talking about this earlier on and we weren't quite sure how long he has actually been an MP, but I looked it up. 18 years. So in those 18 years, um, Sharps has only raised 79 defence-related questions, which averages about four questions per year. So in comparison to his counterparts, and, you know, people have had the the post previously, that is incredibly low. His engagement in defence matters as minimal at best, and I think some, that was exemplified. I think it was a couple of weeks ago when he was on LBC. Now, I'm sure you both have heard of this: the Royal Navy's aircraft carriers apparently handed over to the Royal Air Force. Sharps mistakenly attributed the vessels to the RAF, amongst a dozen or so different slip-ups that you might expect from an MP, you know, of any department, just not the United Kingdom's Defence Secretary. And that's where we are in 2023. I'm sorry for that rather depressing rant, but it needed said.
0: Yeah, I, I think as, as we agreed in, in, in pre-recording discussions, um, obviously Ben Wallace, who is the now uh, outgoing and uh, retired, if you like, uh, Defence Secretary, has been probably one of the better Defence Secretaries the UK has had for a, a fairly significant period of time. Absolutely. Absolutely. um and it, it it was it was never going to be easy to find someone to adequately replace him um unfortunately i think as as you've said um the the choice of grant shapps was probably one of the worst decisions um to be uh, to made that that is obviously our opinion and um if you know if if in the months to come he somehow redeems himself um then obviously we will be immensely pleased by that but um, it, it, it doesn't bode well for UK defence particularly at a time when we've obviously had a defence refresh this year which was very big on sort of strategic terms and, and very very weak in terms of actual details of what uh, is being paid for what what is being cut um, we've obviously in recent days seen um, confirmation again that the Type 32 frigates will eventually be a thing um, albeit we're probably not likely to hear much uh, about that now until sort of the 2030s um, yeah. George obviously spends a great deal of time uh, dealing with folks on social media who claim that uh, the Type 26 and the Type 31 frigates are not being built in Scotland um, I, I, I won't go too much I won't go too much into that because I don't want to set him off. Um, but
2: <laughs> me, never.
0: <laughs> but it's it's yeah the the, t- the timing for this and particularly with a major war in Europe at the moment, um, it, it's not great timing. We 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 totally understand um, the reasons that Ben Wallace has obviously stepped down from the role. Um, it is a demanding role, both physically and, and and emotionally but also it's the amount of time that uh you have to spend effectively on call available um should a situation arise it, it is 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 not something to be taken lightly and, and then obviously um ben wallace and, and the, his family have, have been impacted massively by his his tenure in that post um so uh, uh, as i said as i said to uh, on twitter myself um we the British people are immensely grateful to uh, Ben Wallace for his role in in that position uh, over the last few years, um, and we do wish him the best uh, with his future endeavours. Um,
2: Absolutely, and, and that was a position shared by the front bench, you know, defence spokespeople of all the main parties. I think it's important to note that his service was respected by you know the majority in Parliament, so it's not a party political issue.
1: <clears throat> he, he did appear to be one of those figures that kind of transcended party politics in a way to, yeah. to, to be more, more of an international figure if anything
2: I mean I, th- I think was he potentially could not have been one of the frontrunners for Tory leadership but ruled himself out to concentrate on the job
0: that he, he doing, did yes you know, and he yeah. was also more recently a contender for the next NATO Secretary General um, and obviously, that in the end didn't work out for for reasons that are no. myriad and complicated and and largely political. But um.
1: But you you mean the eternal God Emperor Jen Stoltenberg is going to step down at any point?
0: Well, he's been
2: given not step down, year, nearly yeah, evolved so. to a new form. <laughs> Just to bring, like, obviously, you mentioned connecting people on social media. I won't go too much into that, but it was, you know, in terms of perception. The, the stark contrast between Sharps and Wallace. So Wallace would often be the one leading the corrections on Twitter. You, you'd see him, quote, you know, tweet, you know, incorrect uh, stories, whereas now it's uh, those stories are about mistakes Sharps has made. So that's where we are.
1: The the strength of a good media team should never be underestimated. Yeah. And, and I, I, I think that is something that a lot of figures disregard to a degree. And it ends up hurting them. Also also to a varying degree. I, I think I think some of the line or some of the idea when, when we came to, you know, UK force disposition and UK force positioning, especially on the naval side of things, there there would would you say there there's a there's a thinking currently at the moment that the the rapidly declining Russian Navy for, for 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 from from some very certain sources, um, maybe part of the calculus there.
2: Some sort of a twisted peace dividend, only a war dividend from Russia doing so poorly.
1: Well, l- 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 I mean, put it this way: the, the Ukrainians to destroy or or hit a major Russian shipyard with with British supply or potentially British or French supplied um, Storm Shadow cruise missiles and and. You know, those are those are surface assets that, that the Russians can no longer use.
0: And, and and correct me if I'm wrong, but so Ukraine, which to all intents and purposes at the start of the war didn't really have what one would call a navy, has now sunk the cruiser Moskva, the landing ship Minsk, and has even managed potentially to seriously damage the Kilo class submarine at Rostov on Don. That's that's quite an impressive feat for 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 a nation that hasn't really got a uh, a, a surface warfare capability. As We've seen. Well, I, I think it, the Kirch bridge has been a casualty on several occasions in the last year and a half.
1: I mean, I I think it shows how relatively untenable the the russian position in crimea is in that it, it, you know they want a navy base there well well great that the ukrainians are are going to make the base unusable mm-hmm. despite despite russian attempts to 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 counter that um and i i think that you know we'll we'll probably continue to see this happening and and you know the Russians could have just stayed in Novorossiysk. Yeah, never gonna that. Nova, Nova you know, they, they could have stayed there and and they would have been well and safe. Um, but you know, they they wanted the the strategic port of Crimea and the the strategic port of Crimea is now you know a a very large or the strategic port of Sevastopol is now a very large Ukrainian shooting range effectively and I, I i definitely think that again as i as i said the ukrainians will continue to make crimea an untenable area for for russia to occupy um and and that 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 may be you know who knows that that's a deciding factor in the war
0: as, as i said on twitter it's just unfortunate for the ukrainians really that the uh, the admiral admiral kuznetsov aircraft carrier wasn't a little bit closer to uh ukrainian territory right now because uh, i would imagine that would uh also be a if, even if just for the sort of propaganda element it would be a, a very
2: i think there might be accusations that the target. sinking that vessel would be a false flag because it's very likely <laughs> to sink itself.
0: yeah
1: all right do we do we want to do we want to wrap things up here
0: um i need yeah. to go walk a dog <laughs> I think we should just quickly mention um, sort of the other major sort of world story of the last month or so. Um, Africa has had interesting and tumultuous times uh, in recent years. Um, obviously, many of you will remember sort of the Arab Spring of, what was it, 2011-ish? Um, and to, to an extent we're starting to see sort of the same level of turmoil occurring again uh, on the African continent. Um, in the last three or four weeks, we have seen, what is it, four or five different coups take place. Um, unfortunately, none of us here on on, on the podcast today are uh, particularly experts when it comes to events uh, on the African continent. Um, but I think from memory, we've seen coups in uh, Niger, uh, Gabon, um, there was some sort of uprising in Burkina Faso. Um, where else have we seen some issues in in the last few weeks?
1: Well, it it is interesting to see because at least, at least the coup in Gabon was more custodial in nature, um, in, in kind of a reverse from the normal uh, uh, coup procedures the 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 coup leaders actually re-enabled the country's internet access um, which had been shut down days previously um, after the election um, and that's that that was that was I, I think that's an interesting vignette um, to to the kind of other coups which you know government shuts down internet shuts down communication makes it so they can't you know, so people can't rebel or, or can't organize against them. Um, where in this case the the coup leaders were extremely confident in the public support, and I I think I think there is there is certainly a question there of of if it is a popular coup you know supported by the people is it a coup, um, which 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 is is one of those questions there.
0: Yeah, and we've obviously seen in in one of the cases of uh, one of the coups, I believe it was the one in Niger, um, there was a lot of concern from the neighbouring countries to to the point where discussions were had and there was sort of an announcement made by this alliance of neighbouring countries that they were looking into conducting a military intervention. Now, obviously, that military intervention thus far has not materialised. Um, and I, I certainly won't be holding my breath, um, but it's it interesting to see that situation unfolding. And um, again, the sort of the mass bloodshed that is normally associated with coups seems to have been largely missing from a lot of these situations. And as you say, technical um, in, in in a couple of cases, these. These coups have actually had widespread public support. Yeah, case... I mean, I think
1: at the end of the, or the certain certain areas are, are vulnerable to coups, um, and and I I think we've seen that for what 60, 60 years now, mm. maybe more. Um, I. I, I it, not that it's standard operating procedure, but it's it's you know certain certain countries in certain areas are just vulnerable to them. Turkey per se, you know, had a coup like what once every eight years for, for a good amount of time, mm-hmm. um, and so I, I I think you do see that to a, to a degree.
0: And it's it's worth noting that some of these countries where these coups have been taking place, um. A good number of them have in recent years had the presence of Russian Wagner mercenaries. Um, How much of a destabilizing effect those mercenaries have had on these countries um, is is obviously a a topic for another day maybe. But um, it's also worth noting that with NATO particularly and and, and other sort of global powers being focused largely on events in in, in Eastern Europe and Ukraine, There's not been an awful lot of movement um, other than sort of a few statements from the French government um, when it comes to the situations that are unfolding on the African continent. Um, And I think that's reflective of the way that things are heading globally. Um, For some time now, obviously, China has been expanding its influence uh, in Africa and and, and elsewhere. Um, And to a certain extent, they they are obviously more invested now in... um, the future of various nations in that continent than perhaps the sort of old colonial nations who once held control of vast areas of the continent. But it will be interesting to see, particularly in the next couple of months, how those situations in Africa develop, whether those coups end up resolving themselves peacefully, as it seems some of them are at the moment. Um, and whether there ends up being a uh, sort of African League of Nations intervening in uh, in one or more of these situations,
1: I, I think multiple. I, I think it is important to remember that the multiple members of ECOWAS, which is the 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 alliance that that John's been talking about, are are, are currently suspended because they the the governments were couped. Um, that that is that is one of the elements to remember there.
0: Indeed. And I think with that, we will call it a day. Um, so, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening. Um, once again, our apologies for the late uh, nature of this episode and, and, and the fact that uh, we are uh, a little bit behind schedule. Um, we will hopefully be back in a couple of weeks' time with another episode um, and with a guest appearance again. Um So thank you all very much for listening. Uh, This has been the Ocean Punker podcast.